Hello. All right, sorry, I can start again. Way. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Film File, the film show for isolated film geeks by isolated film geeks, and this is episode 20. And as ever, I, Lee Ford, am joined by my friend, colleague, pal, partner in crime, Andy Meekin. Welcome to another show. In this show, we will be looking at whatever news Andy can trawl from around the web. We'll be taking a deep dive into a deep, deep dive of a film with The Abyss. We've got Andy's challenge and, of course, our neat thing. So, Andy, how have you been? Have you been in the world of lockdown? I've been as active as, as normal, really. I mean, still doing the usual walks, uh, still exercising. It's really starting to feel the difference in myself from my regular exercises. It's the fittest and healthiest I've been in years. Oh, that's a good sign. And I've now not been smoking for 13 days. Ooh, once you days. get to that, you're halfway through. I'm, I'm at the stage where I can walk into a shop and no longer feel the urge to buy any nicotine. Is that because you can't walk into a shop anymore? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always the big tester. Because I've, I've quit smoking a few times through my life and I've started up again every now and then. And each time, it's always when you can walk into a shop and not even have to have a thought about whether you want cigarettes or not. I can now just walk in, pick up what I'm, what, what I'm intending to buy, me bread, me toilet rolls, me milk, go over, pay for it, gone. And it's only like, as I get halfway home, it's like, oh, I didn't even think about getting a cigarette. Oh, keep it up. They say it's three weeks, isn't it, to, to drop a habit? Yeah, I'm keeping it fine. It's I've done this before. I know I can get I know I've got the willpower to do it. So oh, uh, I think lockdown's definitely helped because... In the past, if I'd run out of cigarettes, I could literally just go straight out to the corner shop and buy some more. The corner shop's been shut. I have to walk further. And I only go out once a day for my regular exercise anyway. So it kind of helps break habits. And I think that's one positive thing from the lockdown is people can use it as a time to break the bad habits that you got into. Whilst also getting into a routine of doing things that you've been meaning to do for a while, like doing more podcasts, like yes. video editing, which um, we put out the first one of our little teaser videos over uh, between these two episodes and where can we find these uh, these teaser videos andy can find them on youtube on the film file channel which i've set up fantastic which um we, we inter I'm, I'm intending to add little snippets in from time to time just short little videos as little extra behind the scenes things and little maybe something that we started discussing on the episodes and didn't get a chance to fully cover in detail to do a little like extra bit of information and any ideas that people can throw on them we're glad to pick them up because i don't know about you but i'm i'm enjoying the creativity i'm enjoying yeah. having fun with this I, a couple of things that have changed for me I, I i am missing i am missing playing live music i'm really missing going to the gym so my physicality's not been as great even though i'm doing a regular walk I probably walk more in a day than I would normally walk, but I, I'm I'm cooking better food. My my partner's is vegan, so we've had a tendency to have vegan food uh, rather than buying uh, buying meat for for me and me and the kid. So I've enjoyed learning to cook vegan food and, and and doing an awful lot with it. So cooking has been a big part of 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 our day now, and even considering doing a a, a vegan food cooking podcast. But it's it's just been an, an absolute joy learning to cook. But I I am missing going to the gym. Yeah, I like the I like the social aspect. I don't find the gym easy to do. I find I have to go. I have to push myself, and I enjoy it once I go. 
but I've missed yeah. that. And I've started working on a, on another script. So nice. uh, I've started to use the time because I don't think my industry is going to pick up anytime soon. I work a lot with with bands, as you know, and I can't see getting out on the road again and, and, and filming filming bands being a thing. So um, I don't know what's going to be happening as far as work goes. So I've, I've now decided, you know, I've, I've used the time and now use the time to, to make it work for me. But I am missing. I certainly am missing going back to the cinema and, and, and seeing something new. There has been new things on Amazon and Netflix, but it's not the same. No. It's not that same. I mean, something just drops on Amazon and you go, oh, that's dropped and I'll watch it. But when it comes out at the cinema, there's a build-up to it. There's a feel of like, oh, I'm going out my way to experience this film. I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to enjoy it. Whereas on Amazon and Netflix, you can literally just go, eh, what is there? Flick, flick, flick. Oh, go on then. And it, it doesn't feel like you're making an effort to watch it. Yeah, I agree. All the hype that we had for The Irishman. And yet when, once it came onto Netflix, it took me a good week before I got around to watching it because it's it's there i can watch it when i want yeah i had to kind of force myself to watch it to be honest yeah cinema's a completely different experience i've, I've also been um i mean I, anyone who follows me online will have noticed i've started tiktoking <laughs> Careful. i've got i've i've got into that tiktok thing um, bear in mind bear in mind i was on tiktok back when it was called musically so i was there right <laughs> at the start but i only had like three or four videos then now i'm doing like a couple each three four or five each week and i'm having so much fun with it it's entertaining yeah i think i mean it's about entertainment i i, I read something that a friend of mine a, a stand-up comedian pal posted on facebook um which is you know no matter what you're doing is, is not to feel guilty about it whether you you know you're yeah. finding it difficult is, is not to be not to feel guilty if you're enjoying being in lockdown is not to feel guilty about that either but, but to accept that this, these are strange days that we are living through and that means it's a change to who we are and, and fundamentally how we live our lives so it's about finding what's right for you and being able to deal with it so yeah interesting days as we say this every week and, and with the whole like tiktok thing you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not going on that. It's filled with loads of kids. It's just short little videos. What you have to realize is it's only like a new version of like something that Vine was doing about oof, eight years ago yeah, uh, when it was little 15-second clips. And comedians such as Limmy, he started off really by doing short little Vine, skit, Vine skits, built his profile up from there, and now look at him. So it's a way for people to be creative, get their creative juices flowing with short little clips. And you never know, you, you might go on there and you'll see the stars of tomorrow. So talking of stars of tomorrow and looking into the future, I, I am becoming Segway Man, I've just realised that. Segway Man. <laughs> and we need a song it's for by that a radioactive well. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> do, we have, uh, do we have any news that you've managed to gather from the World Wide Web there, Andy? Oh, there's a lot happening at the moment. We're, we've oh, gone past clear. that lull period and we're starting to see a lot of things ramping back up and getting ready to restart. On the corona-related ones, there's only two things to mention in this time, which is a good sign. UK cinemas are aiming for the 4th of July opening, which is all going to be down to how their new alert system that was rolled out plays over the next few weeks and if the country starts heading in the right direction for infection rate. Cinemas will have to make some adjustments to how they operate. They're not going to allow full capacity, so it'll be limited capacity, controlling the flow of people, how you serve people, etc., etc. We still don't have the details of that. That's still getting discussed, which will mean that they'll be reopening in time for Tenet. Ah, well, we've been talking about that over the last few weeks. This is for those who don't know. 
Christopher Nolan's new film were hotly anticipated. Nobody quite knows what it's about. Christopher Nolan himself has been pushing uh, to get this into the cinemas and to its um, its scheduled release date. Uh, an interesting one to open with. The only thing that could get in the way of this is that Warners might decide to change the release date and they're making that decision this week. So by the next episode, we will know whether it's still planned for the late July release. The reason being... Once you get within four weeks of a film coming out, that's when the marketing ramps up. That's when your TV spots start to occur. That's when your poster campaign goes critical. That's when all the trailers and all the like interviews, features, articles start to flood out. If the cinemas don't open and they spend all this money on the marketing, that's a cost that they will never get back and they'll have to spend it all over again when it comes for the eventual release. Which, which makes sense. So this is the week which is critical for Warners to make the decision and decide whether sticking to that release date is the right decision. If cinemas do open, as they're planning to do, it'll be the best decision ever because Tenet will be the only summer film out until late August. But as the only new film choice, it's just going to break records. It will be a definite win. But if things go wrong and a second wave of, of virus hits, it's going to cost them even more. And it's already cost them a fair bit, this film. I've said this a few times over the last few weeks, as you know, is it, we, we're at a kind of a crossroads. Are people going to come back to the cinema because they need, need to socialise? Uh, and over here in the UK, over the last weekend, we had the uh, uh, VE Day celebrations. We had yep. a street party, or there was a street party on our street. Not we had one. <laughs> It, people were just taking the opportunity, even though there was social distancing, uh, yeah. just to be able to engage with other human beings. And you could see the, see a sense of relief. Now, will that sense of relief want us to get back into, the, into uh, a social situation like being in a cinema? Yes, for me, my hand's up on this one. But are people going to be too nervous to, to be able to do that? And, you know, the responsibility of, of government and, and individual cinema chains, I'm assuming they will have to come up with an idea. But as you said, Tenant is if it does get released in, in July, then is that going to be the breakthrough that cinemas need? Because people will definitely, definitely want to come back to it. It'll bring the audiences in, the cinemas get the benefit of people returning and getting back to that familiarity with the cinema and realising what the love for cinema is. It's an interesting time, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But just a little bit on, on Tenant before we move on. Uh, there's been a little bit new information that's come out this week. It's been described as time-bending, an adventure that which is guaranteed to linger in the imagination long into the future and perhaps the past. There you go. That's some sort of, uh, some sort of hint. And also... Christopher Nolan's described it as a quantum Cold War thriller. <laughs> there you go. Any clearer? Not nope. I. Nope, not at all. <laughs> Haven't the foggiest. What else have we got, Andy? Looking forward into the future. So we've got the Avatar sequels that have been in stages of production. For nearly 10 odd years now. We've, we've found out what the budget is for the sequels and they're getting filmed back to back. It's one approximately $1 billion across the whole lot of films. Now, the Lord of the Rings films were around about 200 to 250 to 300 million for the three films that's right yeah. so a 1 billion for like two films is quite a significant amount yeah i, I mean i know cameron's shooting them back to back I, it comes down to is is the world has the world moved on from avatar i watched a little bit of it the other day on disney plus and i didn't find myself as engaged as as i had been that that style and look has has, has now become a little bit passe other films have, have done it 
uh, it's got to do some something different. And from what I know from little bits I've, I managed to, to gleam about the plot, I'm not as engaged with that idea as I was with uh, with the first film. I mean, I've, I've said about Avatar since day one that it's not a film that benefits from the home experience. It's purely made for the big, big blockbuster spectacle. And I've only ever watched it twice on its original release on the big screen, once in 2D, once in 3D. And then when it got a reissue in IMAX a few years later, I got a chance to see that. And I loved it all over again, watching it in IMAX. But I refuse to watch it on TV because I feel that it will it will make me spot the flaws of the film and it will cheapen it and weaken it. And you see people retroactively change their opinion. When it came out, everyone raved about it. But people are retroactively not liking it since they've seen it on home release. The problem now is that the Avatar sequels have been so long in the pipeline that too many people have now been turned off the idea of a sequel. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I mean, it was... Uh... It was a time in history. It was it was a game changer. The way effects were integrated, the look of it, the the use of three D, the, the the way it worked as uh, uh, as an IMAX movie. It was it was an absolute game changer. I'm not enamoured by the original film. I thought it was a great spectacle, but low on plot. But I admire what it did, and and I think Cameron has to has to suppress what he did. It was, as I say, it was a game yeah. changer. How do you do a sequel to a game changer? When mo- most people remember it for, for the for the look and the effects, as opposed to the, the storytelling. I mean, let's be fair; it was a thin a thin story. Well done, yeah. but it was still thin. But most people remember it because it was a, an absolute game changer, effects wise. Um, the production's been taking place in New New Zealand. Uh, it's set to restart pretty soon because New Zealand is just about to li- lift all its lockdown over there because they've controlled the pandemic quite well. Cameron is still confident about December 2021 for the release of the first sequel, mainly because even during the lockdown, Weta Digital have still continued all the effects work in the background. So they've been working remotely to do all the effects stuff. So he's got no concerns that he's going to be delayed in getting this film to the screen. Good. Anything else for us, Andy? The Russos with Hercules. Now, we mentioned Hercules as one of the upcoming remakes and the Russos being involved on a previous episode. Uh, they've given a bit more detail on what we can expect from it. This is the Disney remake of their animated film, isn't it? It is, yes. Anthony Russo has said, and I quote, I think you always have to bring something new to the table because from our perspective as storytellers, it's not compelling for us to do a literal translation. We've already done that with our Marvel films. We don't do literal translations of the comics because we feel that if you want that story, you can go read that story. We're going to give you a different story. I think we'll do something that's in the vein of the original, inspired by it, but also bring new elements to the table. Now, they have, in addition, confirmed that the songs, the iconic songs from the animated one, will make their way into there. But this is them saying, but the story is going to be different. There's going to be a reason for us remaking it. It's not just going to be a Lion King all over again. Favreau did that with uh, with Jungle Book, didn't he? he, he yeah. He, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't an identical remake. It had... It was a bit like a greatest hits of some of the moments from uh, the original Jungle Book, but it was far from a, a direct remake as opposed to, to Lion King. It bodes well for me. I mean, I've got a lot of faith in the Russos anyway. I, I enjoyed their approach to films. I caught uh, Extraction over the weekend and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, had their mark uh, written all over it. Uh, Chris Hemsworth was yeah. great. Bit of a thin story. The, the stunt sequences were absolutely fantastic. And best remembered for that. And hopefully the start of a quite a new engaging franchise to star Chris Hemsworth alongside his Thor. And it's always one of those, this is something we should do. Uh, actors who are, who are 
been in more than one comic book franchise. There's a, there's an interesting thought to to think about at some point. Oh yeah, like but no, I thoroughly enjoyed this extraction, and apparently there's a sequel in the works as it's been the the highest viewed uh, movie original movie on Netflix. And in related news to the Russos, there's even more rumours hinting that the Community movie will eventually arrive. With oh yes, Dan Harm. Dan Harmon has been confirming that there is a buzz about it at the moment. There is some chatter going on. And the recent surge in popularity from the Netflix um, streaming of it has certainly helped things. The The cast and crew are all getting together, I think it's in a couple of days, isn't it? To do a script yes. reading um, yeah, from one of the, is it season four episodes, I think? Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the where they gather for the funeral or for the yeah. or of uh, of Chevy Chase's character, I I love Community. I I got turned onto it by a friend of mine who who watched it in the states. Said you've got to watch this. Uh, I think it appeared on on E4 or something like that first uh, at some ridiculous hour, and then it started out as a as, as a funny sitcom, and then it found its feet and became what we know Community to be. You know, genre bending, uh, clever, uh, always hysterically funny. But I do miss Chevy Chase in it, and I do feel that when I know Hartman was kicked off for season was it three or four, um, and when he was uh, brought four, wasn't it? Was it four when he when he was brought back? I really. I know he missed, was kicked off season three, and then he came back for that's right for season four. Yeah, I, I missed uh, I missed Chevy Chase out of it. I know it was apparently problematic, but Chevy Chase brought something to it that I don't think the later episodes ever really got over yeah uh, he was he was integral to the part of it so if they do do a movie and, and i know the character's dead i would love them to somehow bring chevy chase back into it well it's community they can pretty much do anything yeah exactly I mean, exactly they've done darkest timelines yeah there's no reason i mean that one of the things that is like held up the community movie taking place as well is that dan Harmon doesn't want to just make one for the sake of making one he wants there to be a reason he wants it to have a cinematic feel he wants it to to flow as its own thing as well as being a part of the whole series and let's be honest uh, what what could they do better than a user community approach to time travel movie seems that they've done darkest universes yeah and that's how you could get chevy chase back but anyway it, it, it is exciting that there's buzz going on with everyone being involved and let's just see that we might finally get that movie to wrap up the six seasons of the movie fantastic uh, new mutants popped up on amazon for pre-order yes i noticed that um, and then since vanished again. Very quickly. Now, this isn't the first time, and we've reported previously on Amazon accidentally activating things that shouldn't be activated, that the studio have turned around and confirmed that they're still planning for a cinema release at some point when we don't know. I've just given up hope on this. But the appearance on the service apparently was a glitch. They're putting it down to a glitch. They're trying to claim that all these accidental activations of things that are being taken place is because... They had them programmed in for before the pandemic had hit and everything locked down. This would have been the date that it would have been on pre-sale anyway because the film was due to get released, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not convinced. I just think that the, I just think that they haven't worked out which person is responsible for these mistakes yet and hasn't sacked them yet. And it wouldn't surprise me if we start seeing like you know the next Bond film get activated for pre-order tomorrow. <laughs> but it's it's real. I mean, we said it last time that it doesn't look good for Amazon. In this time when streaming is becoming a huge focus and, yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on it, you know, Trolls 2 with its success through the video on demand. For one of the biggest distributors of online streaming to be making these kind of mistakes, this is not good. And this is 
this is going to soil the relationships that the streaming services have with the distributors and distributors will start looking at their own streaming channels. And then we have a situation where we've got another 14 different subscription services. So they need to get it right. They need to stop messing up. And, and at the end of the day, we need new mutants to eventually come out. Just, I don't care, streaming, cinema, injected into my blood. I just want to see this film. <laughs> I, I need it in my life. <laughs> it's taken so long to get to us that it's now, I hope we're not building it up into something that it isn't. And it's just, it's a, it's a good film rather than the second coming of the, the I think It's, it's going to lead nowhere because, because there's no, that there's going to be no sequel to it because it's no longer a part of Marvel. Yeah. But this is just, it's more the, the morbid curiosity of what kind of death throws the Fox's X series is going to throw because we want to ignore the last death throw of um, Dark Phoenix. Consider it ignored. I, I like to consider that the proper ending for the Fox X-Men stuff was Legion, the final, final episode of Legion, which was perfect. Yeah, I agree but with this, that. But this could just be a nice little cherry on top of Legion. It could be a nice little way to go, well, this is what we could have had. Talking of uh, Amazon, have you heard this rumor that's going around about Amazon wanting to buy AMC theaters? Yep. There's nothing being confirmed and sources are still trying to be uh, worked out, but it is rumored and speculated that because AMC are struggling, they're struggling seriously financially. They own the Odeon cinema chain, don't they, in the UK? Yeah. And um, Amazon are apparently circling them and making offers to pick them up. That will be interesting. But at that point, you'll have like a, a streamer who owns a cinema chain, which could possibly mean that Amazon Productions get limited cinema runs. Yeah, that could be how we finally get to see New Mutants. Eventually. <laughs> um, sticking with Marvelish kind of related news, Deadpool creator Rob Leefield has uh, been throwing his toys out the pram. I mean, uh, raising concerns over the future of the character. In his words, because I don't think I could put this into any other words, this is what he said. I don't know. Here's what people don't want to hear, but thank God I'm a realist. I feel like Deadpool, the movies, they've set sail. We've got two brilliant movies, and we live in a culture that always looks forward because they're ever selling us next, next, next. It's the fever. For me, as the fever calms down, people just need to calm down and realize that Deadpool 1 and 2 were released within two years of each other, 2016 and 2018, and I just can't. I'm not really that crazy about Marvel's plan right now. He's basically trying to say that the, there's going to be no future Deadpool movies simply because it's been two years since the last one and they've not started production on the next. There's been more than two years between Doctor Strange and... It's been two years since Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and that's not set to start production until next year. Oh, Rob, we think you protest us too much. Where, where he gets this idea that it needs to be churned out one every two years, I don't know. And I just put this down to he's throwing a bit of a paddy strop because he doesn't really have creative rights over his character. He created this character, and he's always sulked at the fact that... And I'm kind of with him on one aspect, is, you know, that, that these creators like him and Todd McFarlane and everyone who created iconic characters for Marvel during an era that Marvel screwed over its artists and creators, they have no say in the rights of that character. And I kind of get that, which is why they all went off and formed Image and their own independent, independent yeah. comic companies. So they had creator-owned content. But, mate... It's been 30 years. Yes, <laughs> you created it. it. Get over it. Let Marvel do what they want to do. Because this contrasts everything that Ryan Reynolds has been saying recently. Because he's been saying how excited he is that he's now a part of Marvel. The possibilities that opens up and that things are developing. So I think it's more a case that Lee Field isn't involved in it because no one wants to talk to him about it. 
because he still won't get over the fact that he has no say in the character. Do you think it's because he can't draw feet and that's what he's upset about? Yeah, he's uh, he, he, every time that he goes into a meeting with anyone from Marvel, they just point out that you know he doesn't know how to draw feet and they take out a picture as well of that um, Captain America that he drew that became a, a <laughs> really famous. <laughs> yeah, it became a meme all itself. For those who've not seen it, please check out Rob Field's, uh, Rob Liefeld's drawing of Captain America's barrel chest. Just do a Google search, Rob Liefeld, Captain America, it'll come up <laughs> and you will see what the issues are. He's quite stroppish anyway. His attitudes on Twitter, he's been blocking people left, right and centre who've even, even circled around any positive criticism. I, it's a bit of a petulant toys out the pram kind of a, aspect. Well, we'd be losing him from our um, from our subscriptions. Sorry, Rob. I, lo- I loved your X-Force comics. Uh, I loved the characters that you did create, but you don't own the rights to them anymore. Move on, mate. Move on. Keep your name attached to them. Just take that recognition. Stop trying to pretend that you have some say over them. <laughs> Sticking with uh, fantasy kind of things, uh, do you remember back in 2015, Gendry Tartofsky? fell out with Sony over the Popeye animation mo- animated movie. Yes. Uh, I, hadn't they already started on production with it? And Yeah. It, there's a, on, if you go on YouTube, you can still find the animation test from the Abandoned Project, which yeah, gives an idea of that. what they were looking at. And he, as a director and creator and a huge fan of Popeye, wanted to keep it as traditional Popeye. He wanted it set in that same era. He wanted it to have the full feel of Popeye. Whereas the studio wanted it to be a modern, updated telling and set in like conventional and contemporary society. And that's where they all fell out. Well, in the meantime, he's been churning out more Hotel Transylvania films, which have obviously made the studio quite a good bit of money. And now King Features own the rights for the production of Popeye-related yes, stuff, do. and they've hired him back. Oh, jolly good. That's a good good happy ending to uh, an ongoing saga. He's got, Now, because the original one was done with the Sony animated studio, obviously he can't come back with the exact same script. So he's got to start from scratch again because Sony own that story. King don't. But at least it means that they recognize that what his idea was of setting it as traditional Popeye maybe is the right way to go. It's, it's interesting. I mean, he's an interesting animator apart from uh, the work he does on Hotel Transylvania is is the cool stuff that he's done on on TV. He also Clone wrote Wars. that. Yeah, yeah. He also did that great um, Luke Cage book for Marvel. I don't know if you had a chance yeah. to read that. And he's got a very individualistic animating style. Um, yeah, I hope he. I hope it's good to see that that in one of those stories where creators have come out of this on top. Yeah. So whether Sony will still be involved for the distribution of it still remains to be seen but they're not involved in the production of it, which gives Tartovsky some um, rights to do what he wants with it. Mm. Rob Liefeld, take note. Yeah, so if you, if you don't throw a strop, if you don't throw your toys out the pram, you might actually get involved. Kate <laughs> uh, Blanchett's going to be busy over the next couple of years, isn't she? Yes, she is. I mean, she's, she's turned down numerous invites over for dinner uh, because she says she's too busy and she doesn't know who I am. <laughs> and, and please stop calling me and where did you get this number <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well recently she was cast in the Borderlands movie which we've spoken about before as yeah. Lilith the kick-ass firehawk siren um, but she's reportedly also in talks to star in Adam McKay's new comedy Don't Look Up uh, which sees two astronomers trying to convince the world that an asteroid is going to hit the earth and potentially kill us all Jay Law is already cast that's that's uh, Jennifer Lawrence, not Jude Law. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you on that one. Uh, I'm, clearly, I'm, I'm not I'm, down I'm, with the kids. I'm, 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 ju- I'm just being hip and down with all the <laughs> like lingo these days. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence is already cast. 
Uh, so it'll be Jennifer Lawrence and Kate Blanchett side by side in, in a comedy pair up. And that's not all from what I gather. And in addition, she's lined up to join James Gray's new film, Armageddon Times, which apparently is based on the director's early life at the Jew Forest School, where a certain Mr. Donald Trump was an alumnus and Fred mm. Trump was on the school board. So uh, I think it's going to be quite politically charged. I wonder what happened to him. I don't know. Whatever happened to that Trump guy? <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's got a, a pretty busy slate over the next couple of years. So another person who's got potential to be quite busy in the coming years is Karen Gillan. Who'd have thought it? Yeah, out of all the, all the people who've worked on Doctor Who and, and out of this last sort of incarnations when it came back uh, in the 2000s, that she'd have been the one to have had the most prominent career. I mean, she's really propelled herself through the Hollywood circuits. Yes. Yeah. The, the almost unrecognisable turn as Nebula in the Guardians films. Yeah, and then the, Jumanji, what, of course. Then Jumanji, where she's really raised a profile like to like people be able to recognise who she is. And also involved in making her own films. Yeah, she's, she's had a, uh, she had a directorial debut... 2018 uh with a party's a, just beginning that's right scottish film yeah um and she and have you seen any of the shorts that she's done they're quite quite dark I've, I've caught a couple of them i don't remember the one i saw was was very very dark um she's not only got uh, been a talented actor but but a, a great director in the making as well so what news do we have about karen gillan so now the rumors have that uh, she's potentially going to be the new lead in the next wave of Pirates of the Caribbean films. Yeah, now I've been reading some time about a, a reboot and whether Johnny Depp is involved or isn't involved. I've read numerous stories that say this is a new, fresh take on it with a female pirate. I've also read a story that, that Johnny Depp's still involved to a degree. Uh, I guess we, we're at that stage where we just don't know right now. The speculation is that she's being tipped to play the character of Red, which is a character that's been introduced to the theme park attraction in recent years and it proves to be quite popular. They're saying it's a reboot and people are saying, you don't need to remake them. It's like, no, it's, it's a reboot. They're basically just going to continue the franchise, but it, take it in a different direction with a new cast. A, f a female lead. I can't wait for all the um, online basement dwellers to start moaning <laughs> about um, how dare they have a female lead in a pirates film when most pirates were all male anyway. I know, and <laughs> as soon as their moms tell them to stop taking out the garbage, they'll be there online complaining about it. <laughs> but the thing about Karen Gillan is she's a bit of a genre, uh, a genre yeah. favourite, you know, due to Doctor Who, due to, to Guardians and Jumanji. So, uh, and the fact that she's going to be now leading a movie, it's just tantamount to her talent and, and, and how well she's done. The buzz so far from the speculation that she's going to be play, might be playing the role has, has been positive online. Oh, good. Which does bode well. The only negativity is coming from the people who can't understand why we need another Pirates film, which I can kind of get that aspect of it. But And this is why yeah, it needs a reboot. If, if it has a nice reboot and it works a treat, why not? Why not have more piratical adventures on the seas? Because there's some great ideas that you could throw out in there. And, and, and the fact I never knew there was such a word as piratical. But piratical. moving on... <laughs> so uh, let's round up the last bits of news quite quickly because uh, like I said there's a lot this week so we're not going to be able to cover everything in detail but uh, the Scream franchise is planning another film Ready or Not duo of Matthew Bettelini Olpin and Tyler Gillett have the reins and they've begun developing the idea and they've approached Neve Campbell uh, to return to it and she's very much like keen 
to get back to it if the script works. Apparently, the, di- the two directors wrote a very touching letter about Wes Craven and how he was a huge inspiration to them. And that made her go, oh, these guys are right for this. I'm going to throw in that Black Widow is expected to be back in the cinema ahead of its uh, US scheduled date, which was yep. November the 6th for the US. And we get that the week before. And Mike Flanagan and Trevor Macy, who've adapted Stephen King's Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep's to films, are now tackling another Stephen King tale, his 2015 book, Revival, which is about a junkie musician who develops a relationship with a faith healer who's obsessed with contacting his deceased wife and child, but the dabbles with the afterlife tap into something horrific and Lovecraftian. I'm excited for this. I've not read Revival, uh, but I've heard good words on it. But as soon as you have the words Lovecraftian, I'm on. I love Lovecraftian, like, kind of tales and horror. And I'm always a sucker for Stephen King, even though I've not read this one. Talking of other release dates, Mulan has now been uh, scheduled, again, all depending on uh, on the on the virus. The classic adaptation of the animated film was due to open ooh, back in March, which seems like another lifetime ago. Uh, and that's been looked at for a release probably around the time of Tenant, sort of July time. So there there are things now in the pipeline Yay. that we should be able to see. And finally, for people in the UK, get excited because in the first week of August, there will be a box set release of Flash Gordon. Yeah, it's a five-disc box set, which will have the DVD, the Blu-ray, and the new 4K UHD restoration. Wow. I've got a lot of love for this film. Two additional discs of Blu-ray extras, which will include uh, New Lost in Space, Nick Rogue's Flash Gordon, an episode of 1979's Flash Gordon, feature documentary Life After Flash, original soundtrack by Queen and Howard Blake, stills, storyboards, galaxies, original theatrical trailer, yada, yada, yada. It sounds like a great box set, and any fans of Flash Gordon, of which I am a huge fan, and I'm sure you are. Oh, I've got such a soft spot for this film. It, it's imperfect in so many ways, and you can pull it to pieces right, left, and center. It's grandiose. It's over the top. It's it's everything it should be. But there's an absolute love for it. I absolutely adore this film. I have such a such a memory of going to see it for the first time, and I think that's that plays into it. That's part of it. So much so much to like about it. I can't wait for the 4K restoration. I can't wait to watch that on my TV. And that rounds up the news for this week. And if you're a fan of the show and you've not subscribed, please do also tell your friends. Also tell your friends how great the show is and publicize it on our behalf. We're doing very well at the moment, but we'd like to do better. So stick with us and just tell everybody how great the film file is. In fact, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at Filmfile UK over on Twitter. And throw in any ideas about what you think we should be deep diving before we can get back into our usual reviews and news. Okay, so if you've been listening, you know that I've been sending Andy a challenge. Uh, Ripped off by The Guardian, we know, but enough of that (laughs) because I'm sure our lawyers are involved in that. But uh, I've been sending Andy a challenge of all the Oscar-winning films that he's not seen. Anyway, last week I gave him The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, a film I absolutely adore. came out in 2007, uh, directed by Andrew Dominic. Andy, what did you think? Now, we said when you gave me this challenge last week that as someone who's a fan of Westerns, this was a weird oversight. And it wasn't one that I had deliberately avoided. It's one that I just couldn't find time for because it's quite a long film. It is. And it's a, it's a, having watched it, it's a film that you need to be in the right frame of mind to watch and appreciate 
because it's not your typical Western. It's a revisionist Western. And it looks at the very strained relationship of the James gang, the hero worship that Robert Ford had for Jesse James and the events that led to the killing of his icon. Brad Pitt playing Jesse James as unnerving and unlikable as you could possibly imagine. So he's a hard... Ca- There's no characters within this film for you to just like enjoy and root for because everyone just seems a bit off. I'll totally agree with everything you're saying. It completely drew me in. The fact that there was no one to root for, I found was a, made for a much more compelling drama that was un- playing out. It made it chilling. It made it... You didn't know where it was going to go. You couldn't... You couldn't think like, oh, well, you know, that person's going to do this, that person's going to do that. You could, everything was unpredictable. But more than anything, I mean, I could tell right from the offset who the cinematographer was on this film. Oh, absolutely. Deakins. Oh, that that man is a treasure. The nighttime train raid scene. As soon, and then th- This is early in the film, the night because the film more or less starts off with the planning for the nighttime train raid, which is the last outing of the whole Jesse James uh, the James gang and for a nighttime scene to be shot in such a way that you capture every detail just shows the beauty that he brings to his craft. And it is and a it craft. Is it's a craft. It's, it, it's not just slapping a camera down and putting some lightings up. He plans everything meticulously and knows how to bring out the emphasis and bearing in mind that the train itself is black and yet you can see all the detail on it in a nighttime shot. Marvelous. But no, I, I I was sold on this film. Once it got oh, to that good. point of the film, and I was already like not understanding which characters I'm supposed to be following more than anything else. It was then just a fascinating journey to see, like I say, hero worship played out. It's a very insightful yeah. and contemplative analysis of hero worship versus reality. Yeah, it's it's about it's about fame uh, and what fame means and what what fame brings. And, and the disillusionment and infamy that fame bring as well. It's, it's absolutely spot on. How an obsessive nature, when you idolise someone, can lead you to not just want to be linked with them by working with them, but find a way to be linked with them forever through killing them. And, you know, if you, t- if you take another real-life approach of this, look at um, the John Lennon and Chapman. You know, Chapman yes. is forever linked to Lennon because he killed Lennon, even though he was a huge fan but that's how he got himself linked. And this is exactly the same done at a Western backdrop. It could also be read into the film that um, Jesse James actually engineers his own death because he's deliberately unlikable and manipulating Ford throughout and constantly poking him and goading him. And it's as though he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory to be taken out by someone else who would then have that story to tell going forward about how the outlaw Jesse James was killed and keeping Jesse James's legend alive at the same time. There is so much to like about this film, including a great cast. It's a smart film. It's Casey Affleck as Robert Ford, uh, Sam Shepard, Mary Louise Parker, uh, Jeremy Renner in yeah. one of his first film roles, Sam Rockwell. Everything about it is absolutely spot on. It, it was for me, and probably not for us, but I think it's the it's where the public saw the change in Brad Pitt as, as not a pretty boy leading man, but into a character actor. I think yeah. we'd seen it before with films like California and that sort of thing. But I think where the public realized this guy was a, was an actor, not just uh, a, a movie star. I, I think it's, I think it's an engrossing film. I think it's beautiful. I think it's, I think it's telling. I think it does everything. It's a throwback to, uh, to seventies uh, movie making and, and the revision of the Western 
I think it's I think in one of those those few films which I will say is perfect. So my film for you this week, uh, we've gone through the list off air, and, and I can't believe you've not seen this because I know you're a big Paul Thomas Anderson fan. <laughs> and, and this was a, another game change film for me. This is this is the last film that I absolutely was enamoured by by Paul Thomas Anderson. I know you're, you're a bigger fan than I am, and that's Boogie Nights. It came out in 1997, uh, written and produced by Paul Thomas Anderson, set in Los Angeles, uh, and it focuses on uh, the rise of, of uh, a young guy into the into pornographic adult films. Watch that. Come back next week, Andy, and tell us what you think to Boogie Nights. Cool. I'll get round to that that one and let you know. It's like like you say. I'm a, I'm a big fan of PTA. Yeah, he's the only guy to have actually like really really showcased what Adam Sandler was capable of. Yeah, Absolutely. he can work with anyone and bring out the best in them. And I, I I genuinely don't know. I've had opportunities to watch this film so many times and just not got round to it. Okay. Uh, well, we set ourselves a, a deep dive where we look at one film uh, and sort of review it and look back at it and give it a critical eye. Covered quite a few films in the last couple of weeks when we've not been reviewing them. This week's choice is a 1989 science fiction film, probably the only film to be considered a flop for its director, and that's James Cameron's The Abyss. Moment of truth. Let's go. Forget everything you've ever seen. Forget everything you've ever heard. Forget everything you've ever experienced. There's everything you've ever known about adventure. And then, there's the abyss, rated PG-13. So after his success with Terminator and Aliens, James Cameron managed to bring an idea that he had since 17 years old to the screen with the abyss. A nuclear sub is lost after an unknown entity cripples it, and a deep-sea rig is used as a base of operations for the Marines involved in the recovery and rescue attempt. The tensions between the Marines and the riggers are also compounded by the personal tensions between the crew. And then it turns out that something non-human lies at the bottom of the trench. Now, this is a film that starred uh, Ed Harris, Michael Bean, who returned from... Um, Both Terminator and Aliens. Scene. That's right. Mary Elizabeth Antonio. It was it's probably best known less for its plot uh, and more for its uh, Academy Award-winning Best Visual Effects at the time because that was sort of the gateway into a lot of the effects, which are now commonplace, and, and that was what was considered to be the water effect at the time. And that's what laid the groundwork for the, his effects in Terminator 2. The liquid morphing effects that they crafted for this film are... I mean, I, I revisited the film over the past couple of days in anticipation for the show today. And those effects are still absolutely jaw-dropping. Absolutely. But the whole, the, the, the probe unit, which is basically a water channel flowing through the un underwater compound and morphing in shape into faces, it's a beautiful effect. And it led to the design of the T-1000 in Terminator 2. I remember seeing it in the cinema and being awestruck by it. It was one of those moments when you go, wow, how, how did they do that? I mean, this was clearly the beginning of, of, of CGI uh, visual effects. Uh, it was pre-Jurassic Park. It just had lots and lots of elements in it that, that, that paved the way. But as I said, it wasn't particularly well received when it came out. and was considered a, a disaster, even though it, it did make money. And it opened around the same time as Batman, and Batman really overshadowed this film. It had a hugely troubled production. Uh, that, I mean, it was nicknamed The Abuse 
on set and like apparently set like set hands had t-shirts and hats with the abyss logo where they changed it to the the abuse because of how it was made cameron's fascination with underwater existence which he's continued ever since pushed for authenticity where he could which meant they built huge underwater sets the whole design of the the underwater rig it was actually built in an underwater set so that they could get continuous shots from one end to the other and external shots etc the cast were made to wear proper diving gear which had been designed for the shooting in order to pick up the volume properly and also light them correctly and everything was done for authenticity including you know people like ed harris having to hold his breath whilst he's got a flooded helmet to emulate this breathable liquid which he couldn't really breathe because it's it doesn't work on humans that well. But he would shoot like 60 to 90 seconds at a time of him basically holding his breath while pretending that he's not trying to hold his breath. Absolutely staggering production. The detail the detail on all the model effects and everything, because Cameron is like, he's a lover of special effects and it's where he grew his craft from. There's some effects shots in there that you don't realize are effects shots until like a little pop-up thing on the DVD tells you, and this was a model, and this was a model. It's like, really? And then you get the ones that's like, and this was real. And you're like, I, f- I f- could have sworn that was a model, but no, you're now telling me that that's the real thing and that one wasn't. Brilliant. It melds perfectly together. And it's one of those films that because of the troubles that came from the production on set, because of the going over budget, and because they had to chop it, it got a negative reception when it came out. And of course, stories like that, like the fact that it did have such a, a, a troubled uh, production. I mean, for instance, uh, uh, Ed Harris publicly disowned the film, says he never wanted to talk about it, and never will. Mary Elizabeth Mastriantoni said she was she was treated like an animal on the set and disowned yep. the film. Uh, her quote was, "The abyss was a lot of things. Fun to make it is not one of them." Uh, Michael Biehn, who was a friend of Cameron's, grew frustrated by by all the waiting. It was uh, it, it's one of those films where its its backstory became the story it, it was a 140 day shoot it was four million dollars over budget which at the time was a huge was amount a huge amount i think a troubled production has a tendency to seep into into the public consciousness and we become aware of it so when these films then come out i think audiences are already slightly guarded by by what they've read about and that that uh, uh of how it'd been received and of course that wasn't wasn't the end of it because the film that came out wasn't the vision that that Cameron had gone away to make, has it? Due to them not being able to get the final effects right within the budget that they were allowed to go to, they ended up having to cut 25 minutes or so of the film because the grand finale just wasn't working. And so a whole subplot got excised from the film and we didn't get to see what that excised bit was until three years later when Cameron managed to get the money to go back finish it off and reinstate these scenes and give us the special edition, which makes it an even sharper film. Because it was already a solid film. I remember when it first came out and I was I loved it. I loved the sci-fi aspect. I loved the approach that it was doing. I loved how it looked. I loved the cast in it. When the special edition came out and it added in a whole new element to the film of the Cold War aspect, and it does date the film when you look back at it now. It sets it firmly in that era. But it enhances the threat because up until that point, the threat was just this underwater platform. But once you get on the special edition, the bits that are added back in, we get news footage of the tensions that are mounting around the world because 
the Russians are blaming the Americans for the disaster. The Americans are blaming the Russians. Everyone's ready to push the button. And this was a time when, in reality, you know, people were worried that the bombs were going to start flying at any moment. And it plays on that. And then you've got all the act- like activities going on within the underwater compound because the Marines are getting on edge. And it, it segues nicely into how Michael Bean's character is starting to fall apart at the seams because the tensions are really getting to him whilst he's also going through like his, his episode that he's got through the depressurization. It all leads to the final moments when the aliens who are at the bottom of this trench basically give humanity an ultimatum, which is basically grow up or we'll kill you. By using these mega tsunamis. Yeah. and threaten the world's coast, don't they? It really makes it a different film. 25 minutes of footage changes the whole context of the film. Because originally the ending felt weak, where he just he meets the aliens, they, he basically uh, communicates with them and then brings him to the surface, uh, and, and that's it. And it was always a little bit wishy-washy. It was a sort of a close encounters that didn't have a payoff. Yeah. But the inclusion of the mega tsunami, which the weird thing was, this is pre-internet, this is all the stuff that we'd read about in, in magazines like Starburst and Starlog yeah. at the time. We knew this footage existed, and there were even there were even stills of it, but it never made the original cut. It's one of those rare occasions where the special edition is the is the definitive edition, as opposed to you know we've added a couple of extra shots in. Um, I rewatched Close Encounters the other day. I've got a fantastic three disc box set, which is the cinematic cut. Spielberg special edition and then what he calls his director's cut where he takes a, he takes some of the effects elements from from the special edition minus the the uh, overwrought ending of entering the ship and to me that's the definitive version of that film uh, rather than the the dreadful special edition which which came out into the cinemas so it, it's it's one of those where allowing the director to come back in and and deliver the cut that he was supposed to cut made it a better film but it's a film that still, as you said, because of the look and the visual style of it and the visual effects, still stands a, a, a pretty good test of time. It's not Cameron's best film by any stretch of the imagination, but there are there are threads that run into throughout all of his films, right up to Avatar, uh, and, and elements that even even started within, I would say, uh, Aliens. Yeah, I've watched this film quite a few times over the years and every time i go back to it i get something else this time when i watched it i watched it with the pop-up information commentary thing alongside it and that's how i got to realize the actual detail that he went into with everything the only disappointment that i have over this whole film is that in the uk we get the edited version where we don't get to see the rat breathing the fluid oh right okay i didn't know that because that is an actual scientific thing that that that, that 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 actually works, and they filmed it for real. A rat getting submerged in this breathable liquid until it gulps in, and then can manage to survive in it. Part of the idea of making this film came from James Cameron discovering that this was a real thing, and working out how he could utilize that within a film. Obviously, Ed Harris didn't have to do it because, like I've said earlier, it doesn't work perfectly with humans. It will work, but the human reactions don't let it. Yeah, it's a flawed film, but technically it's a brilliant film and I love going back to it. And I know that the cast have like struck it off their CVs because they hated the whole experience. But James Cameron, his approach to making films is he does just use the cast as props. He throws things at them. He puts them in danger. He risks them. 
He uses them. He doesn't want to create a relationship with them. He just wants to make a good film. And I think he got great performances out of them. Ed Harris is fantastic in it. And it's a shame that he, he doesn't want to even acknowledge this film exists because I, this was the film that woke me up to who Ed Harris was. And I looked out for Ed Harris from every film from that point onwards. And I looked for him in films. Absolutely brilliant. And you have to watch the special edition. You can't watch the original version. It just doesn't work the same. It's the sort of filmmaking that, that Cameron does very, very well. Uh, the effects work is, is, is unbelievable. The design of the film is, is fantastic. And as you say, to a degree, scientifically accurate. This is a film only to be viewed as a, as a special edition. And apparently there is talk of a 4K release uh, coming up to promote, <laughs> um, to promote. well, it's gone past its 30th anniversary, So, but there is talk yeah, of a... Of a it's still not actually got a proper Blu-ray release. It's only ever had the one DVD mastering. And it keeps getting hinted that he's he's re-engineering it and he's uh, he's planning to do it, but then nothing ever happens. This and True Lies are the two films of James Cameron that seem to have just vanished into a non-Blu-ray oblivion. Mm, interesting. Maybe we'll get to see a, a, an eventual release on one anniversary. We've got, like you say, we've gone past the 30th anniversary. Maybe on the 35th we might get to see it. Let's wait and see. Okay, that's it for our deep dive for this week. Next week, we'll have another one for you. But before we go, at this point in the program, we always say, what have you been watching? What have you been listening to, enjoying, playing with? What has been your neat thing? Andy, what's been your neat thing for this week? So I've mentioned before that um, I I like to listen to audiobooks and particularly autobiographies. Now, over the recent couple of months, I've been listening to Python biographies. I've listened to Eric Idle's one. Uh, I've been listening to some of Michael Palin's uh, biographies. Uh, he, his diary ones are absolutely fantastic, where it's just his diary journal extracts from the Python period and then beyond read out. I'm currently listening to John Cleese's autobiography, read by John Cleese. They're called So Anyway. And I urge anyone who loves Python, don't buy the book, buy the autobiography. Because listening to John Cleese regale all these stories of his upbringing and his life gives it that extra element, especially when he starts laughing at his own jokes or little memories that brought him amusement in his youth, that it's clearly bringing him amusement again. And there's something special and charming about it not being read professionally where everything's straight-laced and just being read out and blah, blah, blah. But someone starts saying, and there was that time, and starts chuckling and then tries to catch up on his words. It feels like you're sat in a room with him listening to him talk about stuff. And his life is such a fascinating journey that he went on leading up to his fame and celebrity with with the Pythons. John Cleese's autobiography. So anyway, get it checked out. Okay, mine is a... Well, it was originally published in 2014 as an ongoing comic book. I've just read the first in the trade paperbacks, and that's Jason Aaron's and Jason Latour's Southern Bastards. Now, this is one of those uh, uh, gritty, you can smell the grease paint and smell the oil and smell the fried chicken kind of stories that, that you would have seen as a 19, late 60s, 1970s thriller starring someone like Lee Marvin. And it just captures that period of sort of filmmaking. So the story is uh, Earl Turbo, who's, who's, a, who's a, an angry guy, returns back to his his hometown to to later rest his father's uh, the legacy of his after his father died and go back to his estate. 
he's drawn into a confrontation with the the local whether he's a thug at this time whether he's a crime lord is all being discovered and that's the local coach of of the of the running revs resident high school football team this is one of those which would make a great tv series a hbo thing because it's violent it's it, it's dripping out atmosphere it's incredibly well written by jason aaron and, and very well drawn and it just has that throwback to me to to those kind of thrillers that they don't really make anymore that that used to star people like gene hackman and used to star people like lee marvin which is which is tough guys doing tough guy stuff it's it's a fantastic read i'm only on to to book one at the moment i can't wait to start reading book two and and it's just the other side of comic books if you want to read comic books but you're put off by superhero culture then books like southern bastards is, is an absolute must read Stumptown, which has just been made into a tv series which is really really good by uh, by greg rooker are the other side of what graphic novels and comics are about they're not necessarily your superhero stuffs and this is a perfect example of one and that's it for this week that's it for the episode 20 of the film file episode 20 who would have thought we got this far we'll be back uh, next week with another deep dive and he'll be looking at the film that I said in Boogie Nights and in the meantime it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from him and Andy I love you but we've only had 14 hours to save the earth <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>